Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Lucas Stock and with me, as always, is Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Please join us as we explore, discuss, and grow together as followers of Christ. Um, on today's episode, we're going to do something a little more, uh, a little lighthearted, I guess you could say, a little more A little bit less fun. intense than apostasy, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, All maybe. Right. We'll right. see. <laughs> um, and I guess um, we'll sort of get right into it a little bit. What we're going to be doing is going through... We've each come up with four theologians that um, we were just talking about how to how to explain, you know, our our thinking in this. But a list of four theologians that best describe our own individual, you know, theological sort of mindset or um, explains or influenced our own theology. Does that sound about right? Yeah, and I think I mean we're sort of basing this on a tweet that was making its rounds on theological Twitter. So if you're if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you saw it last week. Someone had tweeted out. I mean, there was a, there was a bunch of different things, like your four mm-hmm. favorite movies, your four this, your four that, like all represented like in pictures or in gifs. Um, and so like this gifs, no gifs. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll lovingly disagree, um, but uh, unity amongst diversity. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah, so th- they tweeted out essentially saying like in four pictures, describe your theology. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're basing this on. I liked the idea. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun to to do this originally on Twitter, and then we had the idea to sort of expand a little bit and bring it over to uh, an episode. And it's kind of like our five books are thinking is it's just a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more, you know, dare I say, fun Ooh, <laughs> to fun. Uh, <laughs> you know think about and, and write down and sort of talk through these uh figures that have had a you know big influence on us personally and and hopefully that can lead to some interesting conversations or you know reflections or whatever um but enough enough gabbing let's just get right into it so jens you're gonna kick us off with the first one all right um so go right ahead so i'll just preface by saying that i guess this episode could have gone like many different directions in my mind so like even when i was thinking about you know describe your theology and four people it almost sounds like, you know, describe your theological perspective. So describe reformed theology in four people, which would be really interesting. Um, or like, you know, describe Anglicanism in four people. Another way that I could have taken it was who are like the four most influential people in my real life? So like who are four pastors or parents or grandparents or friends or brothers? Like who are, you know, four people who have influenced your thinking and theology in that respect? Um, but the way that I took it is I, I, I took it to mean, you know, four people, uh, pastors, theologians, thinkers who have influenced my theology from church history. And um, two of them are still living and two of them are not, though one of them died only like two or three years ago. So I, it's, it's interesting that I only have, I have one ancient person and three more modern thinkers. Um, and that's not to say that ancient thinkers are bad because I'm sure Lucas has like four ancient thinkers if I if I had to guess um could be wrong but uh it's not that like there's anything bad with those people I mean I have there are a lot of older um you know reformers early church fathers like I've read um pretty wide selection of people and one of the reasons I chose more modern ones is because I mean they're living in our day and age 
And I think there's something to be said for theological thinking and the like in our in our age, um, because you know, even though church history is important, and there's a lot, and I mean a lot that we can learn from what was happening in the different centuries, it's also important to to have people who can speak into our generation now. So, um, <clears throat> you know, when when I when I when I think of pastors and theologians that have shaped my theology the most, um, I guess these four men are ones that come to mind, and it was really hard to narrow it down. Um, because, you know, I've read a lot of books, I've watched a lot of sermons, read a lot of articles, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that I've been shaped by many men and women, but these are the four that come to mind. So without any further ado, I'll jump in with my, um, my first pick, and they're not really in any particular order, but this is just how I wrote them down, uh, is Paul Washer. Might be someone you've uh, maybe never heard of. Um, but unlike my other theologians, I've actually never read any of his books. I know he has a couple. Um, but I've never read any, and I think that's okay. Um, nearly all of my experience with him was YouTube videos. So, like when I was when I was a very young Christian, um, I watched a lot of Paul Washer sermon videos. Um, you might know him for his famous video um, on YouTube. It's called uh, "A Shocking Youth Message." So he was invited, like in the early two thousands, to like a you know a youth conference or whatever, and he was the keynote speaker. He was the, the pastor that was giving the address and he's, he's just talking about like true biblical faithful Christianity and how a lot of American Christians don't live that out or whatever. And he has this like really, really intense moment where like the audience sort of like claps like, yeah, we agree with you. And he sort of stops and he's like, I don't know why you're clapping. I was talking about you. And it's like this moment of like, oof. oh man, oof. Um, <laughs> And so, like, a lot of people, that's, like, a big meme in Reformed circles today, I guess. Um, it's actually funny. He was, last month, he was preaching at Shepherd's Conference, which is the pastor the pastor's conference at John MacArthur's church. And he jokingly quipped, you know, they, he said something and they clapped and he joked, I don't know why you're clapping. I was talking about you. <laughs> but he was saying, that's like, hilarious. in a, a joking turn, uh, a joking tone this time. Um but one of the reasons I love Paul Washer is that he has a true, like, pastoral heart. He's not just, like, a theological thinker. Um, you know, he's worked on the front lines in different Spanish-speaking countries and other um, Asian countries as a pastor, as a missionary. I mean, he's, like, the president, I think, of um, a missions organization. Um, but when he speaks, you can just, like, see his love for the Lord. I mean, even in that, you know, that video where he says, you know, I don't know why you're clapping. I was talking about you. He wasn't trying to be, like, mean. He wasn't trying to, like, belittle them. Like, his care for their souls was such that he's like, you still don't get it. You're clapping at what I'm saying, but, like, you don't recognize what I'm actually saying is about you. Like, you need to um, recognize your sin. You need to um, repent. You need to trust in the Lord. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that, I really love and appreciate Paul Washer and, um, you know, I, I sort of described him as being tender uh, yet urgent in his disposition. Like he, uh, when he speaks, he's not, you, you know, like all those uh, Twitter accounts that you and I follow of like those pastors who are just, I mean, I use that term loosely, but they're up there <laughs> like, can you believe these people and all the dumb stuff that they're doing all the time and blah, 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 blah. Like it seems like they're yelling 95% of the time. Right. Whereas yeah. like, Paul Washer has that tender voice, that like loving, compassionate voice, yet he knows the urgency with which he speaks. And so that's why he made it on my list. Nice. Um, 
I know you said that you haven't read any of his books, so this question might be, you know, I, I'll have to tweak it a little bit. Uh, is there any like specific uh, sermon or video or, or something that comes to mind if someone was like, oh, I've never heard of Paul Washer, you yeah. know, like how, where do I get started? I mean, the shocking youth message is a good one to start with because it, it is a really good message, um, you know, all, all jokes aside. Um, he also has a really good series on marriage. So when, when my wife and I were first engaged, um, literally actually the day that I proposed to her, I was like, Hey, let's start watching these videos. <laughs> he has like, so he has like a series on, on marriage and, um, you know, husband and wife relationship. And, um, those are really good. He has, I mean, if you just look up Paul Washer, I'm sure like mm-hmm. there's thousands of videos. Um, but those are like the two that come to mind first and foremost. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. My turn, I guess. Um, Got it. I also wrote a little uh, preface out that I wanted to sort of, you know, touch touch right. on before I hopped into my first um, person. Um, and so for me, uh, when I was trying to think of who I was going to put on this list, uh, I realized that I know a lot more about theologians than I actually know Same. those theologians. That's what made that this so sense. hard. Yep, it does. Um, I I wanted to find people who had made a significant mark on me, like that I could actually sort of tangibly point to, like this is how this person influenced me through their you know writings or sermons or or you know uh, movements or or you know organizations that they were a part of. Um, so even as I like have these four, I'm like kind of dissatisfied with it. Like Same. I feel like I'm glad I I'm not alone. Yeah, I feel like I haven't earned the right to put <laughs> these people on my list until I've like read everything they've written and like know everything about them, which I know is a little overkill. But um, it is interesting how much more. Even when I like uh, responded to this tweet like last week or whenever, I I went to bed that night like super motivated to read these four people like right. to spend more time actually reading and diving into exactly. the works of these four people um so so <laughs> you know i did eventually find these four but um the, what made them stand out to me was how their their like i said their thought and or their own lives uh, have resonated with me in my own theological development and growth um, and I would say that, like, I kind of approach this as, like, a description sort of thing. So, like, if you were to take these four people and, like, throw them in a blender and, like, mix up their thought on, on their, like, main points. Um, would it come out I brown think you... or green or yellow? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a mixture. <laughs> um, but then you, you'd get some close, vague, general approximation of my own thought on at least, you know, the key things that they worked on. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that like just the very process of doing this is like generalizing them and I'm, you know, forgetting certain things or I'm not taking something into account or I'm neglecting other people who also deserve my attention. But like, keep in mind, not only is this describing our own, you know, thought and it that's different than yours, which is what's so awesome. Um, but it's also like, just by nature, we're, we're picking a small number of people from all of church history to try and describe our entire theology (laughs) like it's supposed to be a little more uh you know fun like it started on twitter you know this isn't like a super serious kind of like 
this is an exhaustive list thing. It's not perfect. Um, and one thing that I also wanted to like sort of do in the future is like be like come back to this list, you know, mm -hmm. like add to what I know about these particular figures, add more figures, you know, expand on my list, like learn about new people, just continuing to go ever up and ever in deeper and deeper into the fountain of um, knowledge and reflection of God's people, you know, studying and, and writing on God's revelation throughout history. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's a fun exercise to do this. And I would say that you should, you know, tag us on Twitter, let us know you're for. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I also want to say that there's no women on my list. Uh, the overwhelming majority of theology that I've read has been done by men. And mm -hmm. this is due both to like just happenstance of books I've happened to be recommended or picked up. And also some really unfortunate sinful truths about history and the way that men and women have interacted. Um, this, there, there being no women on my list is not due to me avoiding female voices in my studies, and that's something I actively am interested in expanding. Um, I do, I will say, like as like an, I guess like an honorable mention, um, Dorothy Day. I really, I've, I've haven't, I'm not super familiar with her, but like I've really admired the little bit that I do know. She was involved in the 20th century with the Catholic Workers Movement, um, so she's a little more um, political, but sort of her work, you know, has does play a role in my political theology a little bit. Um, so I just wanted to like sort of mention her, even though she's not really on my list. So I kind of cheated there. But Cheater. jumping into my list, um, my I, I arranged mine chronologically. Um, it's not necessarily in order of like importance. Um, so my first uh, theologian that is describes my theology is Saint Cyril of Alexandria. Um, he lived from 378 to 444 about. He was the Patriarch of Alexandria, and he's most known for fighting against Nestorius, um, the heretic, in the Nestorian controversy when Nestorius was teaching um, things about Jesus and the Incarnation that were ultimately recognized by the church as heretical. Um, Cyril, he was in charge of the Council of Ephesus, or at least he played a major role um, in his teachings and thought and formulations on the incarnation were a big influence on the council of Chalcedon. Um, against Nestorius, he defended using um, the title of Theotokos, the God-bearer um, for Mary, um, in order to defend the orthodox dogma that in the person of Jesus Christ, the actual second person of the Godhead took on actual real human flesh um, and not something... You know, there weren't, it wasn't two Christs, one God, one human, or anything like that. Um, and so as a result of his work against Nestorius, he's remembered as a staunch defender of orthodoxy um, and like a protector of um, the orthodox truth of the incarnation. Um, so where this connects with me, I, I would say that he's really, really influenced me um, in my um, theology of Christ, my Christology. I would describe my own Christology as Cyrillian. Um, I, I had a phase in college where I was flirting with Monophysitism, which is a different heresy. <laughs> um, and part of what uh, originally opened that door for me was learning and reading a little bit of Cyril um, because he, he, was, uh, he was really big on um, the unity of Christ. 
um, and taken the wrong way that that uh, leads to a heretical formulation, but um, a, a more truly Cyrillian Christology is an orthodoxy that refuses to allow um, the the two natures of Christ to be divided, as Chalcedon sort of warns against. Maybe Christology is, is an episode worth doing. Um, but I also <laughs> really appreciate Cyril as a historical figure because he was far from perfect. Um, as we all he are. didn't He didn't behave nobly <laughs> always as a bishop. <laughs> um, he was engaged in some shady stuff. Uh, he wasn't always, you know, he didn't always live up to his role as a father of the church. Um, and I really appreciate that, not because I think it's cool to, to sin, but because even though he so obviously had these big failings, um, God used him to protect the church from at what was at the time the most pressing heresy. Um, and I think it really reflects, you know, God's grace and just the reality that uh, we are we are sinners and we are saints at the same time. And it's not it's not uh, something that we're going to be perfect at in this life, but we still need to be faithful and, and to strive for for faithfulness in, in all that we do and say. Um, What's today's most pressing heresy? If you had to pick one, there's always a heresy oh, lingering out there, whether obvious or under the surface. Do you know? I mean, I'm just curious if you have a, a off the top. Yeah, of your head. I I would probably need to to think about that a little bit. Um, I would just say like the honest, prosperity gospel, like that's what comes. Honestly, to mind. I would I would be a little more abstract, and I would say that that um, sort of pseudo Nestorianism, like this idea of splitting the human and the divine Christ, um, mm. it. I think it's really, really, I think it's really a big deal. Like it's, it, you know, it sounds a little silly, like nobody probably even knows who Nestorius is, but the way that we approach scripture, the way that we approach historical study of Jesus, of uh, the church, of Christianity, um, I think that that tendency to split, um, you know, the Jesus of history versus the Christ of faith, that was a big deal. Like it's not, not as much today, but um, I think that, that tendency, um, right. that trajectory is, is still a really big deal and influences the way that we do things um, in our culture today, the way that we approach issues of faith, even if we don't, even if we're not like consciously trying to, you know, follow Nestorius or whatever. Right. Um, but maybe I say that because I love Cyril so much. <laughs> um, but I would say uh, if you're going to read something, uh, you should read On the Unity of Christ. Um, where he basically lays out uh, Christology. And it's it's fun to read because it's set up as a dialogue. So, like, you've got, you know, Cyril sort of asking himself questions and saying, um, like, oh, yeah. And, and his he's so, you know, reminiscent of some other figures <laughs> that we may or may not talk about later in this list. He's so spicy. Like, he'll say things like, oh, well, don't they, you know, our opponents teach this. And then the response will be, oh, what? you know, you must not have a brain to believe that or something like it's, it's yeah, pretty it fun to like read. Somebody you might mention in a minute. <laughs> um, so I would say that uh, Cyril, St. Cyril of Alexandria is my first um, figure. All right. Well, now that I think about it, I know I said these aren't really in an order, but I do have them in an order. I think just by biggest from least to biggest impact, if it's even, I mean, in a top four, they're all big. Um, but so my, my, Going from four to three, then, um, is going to be 
the man, the myth, the legend, R.C. Sproul. Um, so unlike Paul Washer, I have read a number of Sproul's works. So I've, you know, I've mentioned probably three or four times at this point, Holiness of God, you know, it was in our five books episode. Um, I've read his book, What is Reformed Theology? Uh, I've read Foundations of the Christian Faith, Chosen by God, um, and Much of Truths We Confess, amongst others. You know, he's famous for um, Everyone's a Theologian. He also, um, he's like the general editor of the Reformation Study Bible. And when you purchase the Reformation Study Bible from Ligonier, you get um, a big online like library collection. So he has like 50 small books like... Um, what is election? What is predestination? What is baptism? What is the Lord's Supper? So he has like so many books. He's a prolific author. Um, and I mentioned Ligonier Ministries. Um, it's it's something that he started. It's like a it's a ministry designed to teach the average layperson about theology, about God's word. So he's produced literally thousands of hours of video content, which by the way, if you have Amazon Prime right now during all this COVID-19 stuff, you can get every single piece of Ligonier's online teaching for free on Amazon Prime or on their website. Um, but it's like all, wow. all kinds of great um, material on church history, about um, early church fathers, about the Reformation, about um, modern issues, whatever. There's all kinds of teaching um, videos there. I've used some for Sunday school. I've used some in youth group. I've used some just for my own personal growth. Um Ligonier also makes Table Talk magazine, which is a magazine. It's a monthly magazine subscription that has articles. It's usually like has a each each um, magazine will have a theme. So there are articles written by different pastors and theologians right now, um, and then there's also some devotional content within it and suggested reading and books and all kinds of stuff. So um, R. C. Sproul is um, he actually passed away. He's the one that passed away a couple years ago. But um, in in modern reformed especially um theology rc sproul is like a a a pretty heavy hitter Mm. um and so for me like i've said before early on in my in my christian faith uh rc sproul was one of those guys who um i read without realizing that he was reformed i mean i just i had a couple books of his that were recommended to me like holiness of god um and chosen by god and they were i just had friends and pastors and teachers who were like, you should read these books. These are really important books. And so, um, you know, like I've mentioned yet again, um, like holiness of God is where I first really encountered the idea of like biblical holiness and what that means. And um, it's just obvious when you read his works that he is a very intelligent man. He's a very smart and gifted theologian, um, but he's also able to write at a level that the everyday person can understand. Like he's not too Mm. like, Right. Two up in his head. It's it's really down um, to earth, and you can just see his. I mean, love for the church. It's obvious based on all the, you know, books he's written, all the information he puts out there, all the videos. I mean, I can't imagine spending hours and hours and hours and hours making not just making the curriculum, but like recording the content to release to have available for the the church. And so yeah, he's he's been a a massive influence to me, and I've mentioned a number of the books that I've read, but. Um, if you're wanting to get into R.C. Sproul, uh, I mean, Holiness of God is a great place to start. If you want to know a lot about Reformed theology, like if you don't know a lot and you want to learn more, um, what is Reformed theology is a really good, um, helpful book. I mean, it sort of spells out the the basics of the Reformed faith and, you know, it talks about God's sovereignty, talks about man's 
Um, you know, depravity sort of talks on the doctrines of grace without calling them tulip, which I'll get into with in a little bit. But um, I actually really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, R.C. Sproul is a pretty big one for me. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a name that I've. I can't. I mean, I've probably o- always you know heard the name as long as I can remember. Just never, never spent much of any time with him, but. I didn't know that he had like those short books. That sounds really, I might have to pick up, honestly, uh, I pulled it up as you were talking. I, I might have to invest in a Reformation study Bible and oh, it's <laughs> take advantage I, of I, that. <laughs> I bought a pretty cheap one. They have like the, like the leather like, or whatever they call it. I can't mm-hmm. remember what it's called, but it's, it was only like 35 bucks on Amazon when I got it. So it's, it's a pretty nice. good one. I mean, it, it's obviously coming from a reformed perspective um, as opposed to just a general, um, mm-hmm you know, general study Bible, but it, it's, it's really good. has really good articles within it, like on different key doctrines or key passages and has some, um, has some important, I think it even has some of the, like I'm blanking on what their creeds and confessions. I think it has a couple of them mm, in the back, cool. which is cool too. Yeah. Awesome. Um, speaking of the reformation, my <laughs> second person oh, yeah. uh, is Martin Luther. Uh, he lived from 1483 to 1546 and the reason I picked uh, Luther is that, um, you know. Because you like beer. I, <laughs> um, the the Reformation is, like, you can't understand my own theological perspective without understanding the Reformation as a lifelong Protestant. Um, I don't expect to <laughs> to be leaving the Protestant, uh, you know, world uh anytime soon or ever, but um, Luther was obviously an early reformer. Um, he was extremely important for the, the the beginning and the early stages of the Reformation. You could argue uh, that, I guess. You could, you could argue. Um, and he also uh, retained a really high sacramental theology, um, and I think that because of that, he, because of his, his you know, importance and, and, you know, earliness of being in the, in the Reformation, and then also not sort of getting into some of the, what I now would, would consider theological missteps or excesses of some of the more, um, some of the more Reformed voices, or especially, um, you know, the Anabaptists, who I have a lot of respect for, but just a lot of disagreements with, (laughs) as I've, um, you know, learned more and grown more into my, my, living my best Anglican life now. Um, but I think that Luther really encapsulates what's important and what's beneficial about the Reformation. Um, he, 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 he kept the sacraments and in their importance, but what he really did that is so key and is so important for my theology is he put justification by grace through faith at the center of all of theology. Um, I had a professor uh, who, when we were, we were talking about, we, I was taking a European Reformations class, and when we were talking about Luther, he would say, you guys should have gone to a Lutheran school for uh, Old Testament survey and New Testament survey because the class would go something like this. Uh, Book of Genesis, who's the main character? Jesus. What's the main um, teaching? Justification by faith alone. What's the, like, I forget what he called it, but the third thing was, like, long gospel. And he was like, okay, what's what about Exodus? Who's the main character? 
Jesus, what's the main theme? <laughs> Justification by faith alone. What's the main uh, issue? Law and, law and gospel. And it's, it, it's funny and it's kind of like, you know, I don't mean to do short shrift to the depths of Lutheran theology, but the point that he was making is how important justification by faith uh, was and how to, to Luther and how all of scripture witnesses to Christ. And I think that retrieving that because it is a retrieval, it's not an innovation um, is really, really what's important about the reformation in, in revealing or not revealing, but you know, re, uh, reappraising the importance of the gospel that that was always there but had been obscured by certain issues and abuses in the medieval church in the West. And um, that's, you know, if, if, if I had to sum up the importance of the Reformation, you know, in one thing, I think that's what it would be. And I think that, uh, you know, Martin Luther is the one reformer who I would say is the most, you know, influential or most descriptive of me as someone who, um, put that at the center of his theology and also, like I said, retained that that uh, high view of the sacraments. Um, I mean, wasn't it Luther that said that, I might be misquoting him a little bit, but justification is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls? Like, that's how... Yeah. I don't know if that's a direct quote, but that's, like that's certainly... Teaching. It's a Yeah, that's a, that's a Lutheran thing. You know, I've heard Lutherans say that um, as sort of, like, like proudly. <laughs> you know, right. like... Yeah, in a good way. Um, I would say if you were going to start somewhere, you know, unfortunately, my my experience uh, of actually reading primary source, you know, Luther's probably, the will. you know, he, he's, I have a copy that I started and I never finished so it. I need to get to back into it. But um, I would say read, these are both short. I would say read either the treatise concerning the Blessed Sacrament, which is an early work. I think it was like 15... 19 or 1520 or something that's the year i was born no way (laughs) um but he it's he sort of lays out uh a i mean it's a treatise concerning the holy communion and and sort of his eucharistic theology and it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome um or the 95 theses uh which is even earlier than that obviously and it sounds long because there's 95 of them but they're all like a couple sentences or less so it's not actually that long (laughs) Um, and those those will those will give you a, a really good introduction, especially to the early, uh, you know, area or, or, or time of his thought, um, because he did he had a pretty long career. So he did you know he, he wrote a lot, <laughs> and he did you know grow and develop. Not to say that he contradicted himself, but um, I would say that of the things that I've actually read, I would recommend those two things to if you wanted to dive into to Luther. Um, so yeah, Martin Luther, boom, big well, influence. Carrying on the uh, reformer um, theme here, my my next theologian that has had a profound impact on my life is none other than John Calvin himself. Um, and again, might come as a huge surprise to you. Um, you know, I mean, I only have his face tattooed on my forearm. Thank you, Peter Voth. Um, don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? Yes. <laughs> um, and like I said, this is actually the only ancient theologian on my list the one who um you know again lived during luther's era though um a little bit later than luther though they were also alive at the same time um but calvin is a is a heavy hitter when it comes to uh theological writing theological thought obviously i mean his institutes of the christian religion are i guess sort of incalculable 
in terms of impact, like not only in my life, but, but like the world, like when we think about what, what Calvin wrote, what he did, um, it's almost impossible to actually put into words the impact that he's had. Um, but like I, like I said, Calvin lived in the heart of the the Protestant Reformation as a pastor. I mean, he preached. I, I read a, I read a uh, biography on him a couple, um, maybe about a year ago at this point, and he preached nearly every day of his adult life. Not always like in a church service. Like he he also taught um, and trained pastors and, and theologians, um, and some sometimes several times a day. So if you add it all up, I mean, we're talking about thousands upon thousands Jeez. upon thousands of of sermons. And almost never with notes. Like he almost never went to the pulpit with like a sermon outline, so to speak. Like it was always just, That's here's insane. my open Bible. I'm preaching to you. And they were often just like actually pretty short sermons, um, which, I mean, thankfully the printing press was alive and well. And we have <laughs> a lot of his, you know, writings preserved. But because he didn't keep manuscripts, like because he didn't have outlines, most of what we have is transcribed from people who are sitting under him it's like imagine sitting in calvin's church and he's like preaching a sermon and you're like notating his entire sermon and so that's that's sort of a lot of the the sermons we have anyway that's how we have them is being reproduced from audience members um but you you know you can you can hear uh, or you can not hear i guess but you can read um on first and second timothy on genesis on colossians on Romans, all, I mean, all sorts of stuff that you can actually get in your hands today. Um, but apart from those works, um, obviously, like I mentioned, the, the institutes are, are a huge deal. Um, he's written, he, he wrote a lot of letters, which have also been compiled. So I have a book um, published by Banner of Truth that is, it's basically letters of Calvin. And it's a collection of um, notes and letters that he wrote to um, friends, pastors, um, church members and you can just tell in in reading i mean i haven't read the whole book it's kind of hard to read just like a bunch of letters consecutively mm-hmm. um, but as you read them you can again just see his loving tender pastoral heart he wasn't just like i'm standing up on this pulpit screaming at you all the time like this is a guy who cared for the people who were under him and that's i mean that's why he wrote the institutes of the christian religion he wanted to have um, a systematic theology that the the people could read and i know that many sort of caricaturize him and the theological system named after him so if you've heard of calvinism if you've heard of tulip um those are sort of like summations like summaries of his theological teaching though calvin himself never he didn't come up with tulip first of all he spoke french um he wasn't you know speaking english uh tulip as an acronym which stands for total depravity um, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. That's what the acronym stands for. Um, those five points, which again are sometimes called the five points of Calvinism, they're actually derived from a counter argument from like Arminians. So followers of Jake, uh, is it Jacobus, Jacobus, Ar- Arminius or whatever? Jacob. Um, <laughs> sure, Jacob. Uh, so some of his followers like wanted to put forth their teachings and so they put out this like five points um called the five articles of remonstrance remonstrance um and those five points were i don't i don't have them listed out but basically they introduced these five points and then like people who were followers of calvin were like well we think this this is what the bible teaches and so they came up with their five points and it wasn't even like an acronym tulip like tulip came along way later as a way to sort of like summarize calvinistic 
doctrines of grace. Um, but all that to say, again, people misunderstand, misuse, misinterpret what Tulip is. Again, Calvin himself did not come up with Tulip. It is just sort of a summary um, of a lot of what he teaches. And it's not just what he teaches, but what a lot of people would obviously say is what the Bible teaches. Um, and so it helps to, tr- I guess, truly know Calvin to not just make assumptions based on what you've heard your, you know, your friend or your grandmother say about him. Um, because really when you get into it, he's not trying to come up with these big haughty arguments to like crush his enemies. Um, but instead was, you know, again, a loving pastor who cared for the people who were under him. And that's, um, why he's had such a big impact on me and, and my thinking. So that's, that's my number two as we count down to one. Awesome. Yeah. I also read a biography of him that was really good called John Calvin Pilgrim and Pastor, I think. It was by W. Robert Godfrey. Oh, I've heard of that one, yeah. Um, it was a, it was good. It's it's not too long. It's very readable. So it, it's a good, like, I mean, it's it's a biography. It's not by Calvin, obviously. Right. So read Calvin. But if you want to get sort of an overview of his life, um, I think that, that's a good biography to go to. Um. All right, so next for me is uh, jumping ahead a little bit in history. So Alexander Schmemann, who lived from 1921 to 1983. Um, I've mentioned him before uh, when I talked about his his book for the life of the world in our five books episode. Um, He was an Orthodox priest, a liturgical theologian. Um, He taught for a long time in New York at St. Vladimir Seminary. Um, His work really was about you know, doing theology in the context of the liturgy of the church, um, not divorcing those two things um, or separating them out, but really recognizing the way in which the, the you know, lex arandi, lex credendi, the, the, the law of prayer is the law of belief. The, the, the liturgy of the church is theology. You know, theology is um, done in the context of the church's life, not you know, ivory towers at a school somewhere, um, or separated from the actual life of the church. Um, and that book for the life of the world really opened my eyes to doing theology in this way. It was, it was really my first exposure to any sort of liturgically informed theological method. Um, but it also really made me see and, and, you know, shaped my thinking in the way that the life of the church shapes us as believers into uh, priests, into, you know, as Peter says, a royal nation, a holy priesthood who, who represent God to the world and bring the world to God. Um, and we offer back to God what he has given us, um, not just on Sunday morning or not just in the context of a church service, but our entire life is uh, this liturgical movement towards God. And, and obviously, um, you know, not being... Uh, Russian Orthodox myself, I'm, I have some differences with him on other things, but his method, his approach, I have have grown more and more um, to really appreciate and to really bring into my own thinking in terms of the significance of the life of the church for theology and the theology for the life of the church. Um, and it probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise that I appreciate um a connection between theology and doxology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think that that is, 
you, you know, from what I've been exposed to, I think that's probably, you know, the best way I can think of to sort of describe his importance and benefit for, for us today. Um, and I would say, you know, I've already mentioned a lot, <laughs> obviously, for the life of the world. Um, I'm about to finish reading um, his, his book, The Eucharist, which has, I've read, uh, been described as like the sort of the, the uh, what's the word, like the, like his crowning achievement. The magnum um, opus? Is that what it is? Yeah, like his opus? sort of the summit of his entire life's work. His crowning um, achievement? Yeah, um, I think actually there's a quote on the back of my copy that says crowning achievement now that I think about it. But um, he, yeah, it was the last thing he wrote. Like he he died before he was able to finish some of the like notes for it. Um, and he, he never saw it. He, he wasn't alive for it while it was, when it was translated uh, into English. Um, so it really is sort of like his, what he left us with. Um, it's, you know, I'm about to finish it and I'm, this is one of the first times I've ever been like, okay, I'm reading this, a book again. It's, there's a lot to it and the way he writes is, um, it's got a lot of layers, you know? Um, so I feel like it, I will really benefit from sort of spending more time chewing on it slowly, but for the life of the world is a lot smaller. Um, and a, and a lot, uh, a lot, at least in my memory of it it was a lot easier to read than the eucharist but i would recommend right. both of those books by alexander schmayman cool what's well, funny you mentioned rereading books because the last person on my list here um which when i was thinking about this it kind of came as a surprise to me that this is probably the most influential person in my theological thinking um, but i'm currently rereading this author's book is this pastor's book um it's called this momentary marriage and the author is John Piper. Um, so yet another John on my list. And it's actually kind of funny. When I when I originally posted my four theologians to Twitter, I only put Johns because I realized there are so many Johns that are pastors and theologians, and a lot of them have influenced my thinking. So I had John, <laughs> uh, John Piper, John Calvin, um, Jonathan Edwards, and John Owen. And so like that's just an example. You know, John MacArthur. Um, I don't know why I'm running out of J. There, there's more Johns than that, but like there, it just seems like there are so many Johns. But um, and fun fact, Jens so um, is Norwegian. I have a Norwegian heritage. Uh, Jens apparently is a translation of John. So it's it's all derivative, obviously, of the original John from is it Greek or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my name could be John if I wanted to be. Anyway, so <laughs> John Piper. Um, again, I was sort of surprised. And I, you know, when I kind of write out my notes and everything uh, to sort of collect my thoughts, I said, I'm not trying to be a basic theology boy with this one, <laughs> in air quotes. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like, for a lot of people, I know like John, uh, John Piper is sort of like, is that, oh, he's so basic. Like, it's just, uh, he's not even reformed. He's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of like jokes and memes about him um, online and, you know, on the internet, but. Uh, really, no man has been nearly as influential to my thinking as as John Piper has been. Uh, I mean, he was the first theologian that I began to read when I was a new believer. In fact, the the book that I'm reading right now, this momentary marriage, uh, this was the first like real theology book that I can ever remember reading. Um, but I, wow, I think I also own more Piper books than any other author as well, and so. 
I mean, if we don't count digital, because that, that, I mean, like I said, the sprawl, I have like 50 small sprawl books, but I don't <laughs> count those. Like on my shelf, I have like 10 Piper books, which when I was looking at my shelf, sort of getting an idea of authors and pastors, I was like, wow, I have a lot of Piper books. And, you know, some of those are um, Don't Waste Your Life, um, Sexuality and the Supremacy of Christ, um, Desiring God. I mean, those are three that are like pretty big classics. Um, He's pretty well known for something that is called Christian Hedonism. And this sort of grows from the answer to the first question in the Westminster Catechism. Um, You know, it asks, what is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, so Piper explains that, you know, man lives his life in a constant pursuit of joy, you know, whether it's after sin, lusts, pleasures, whatever it is, like all that we pursue, we pursue out of hoping to get joy, um, even if it is distorted by sin. But for Christians, we have the true source of joy. We don't need to be like, you know, stoic monks, but we can be joy filled, God glorifying people as we seek to honor the Lord. Um, and, you know, John Piper is a, a big fan of Jonathan Edwards and is greatly influenced by Edwards as well. Um, and he sort of talks about, you know, that, that to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like that sounds like two different things. I'm going to glorify God today and tomorrow I'm going to enjoy him. Um, but we, it could be said that we glorify God by enjoying him forever. So one way that we enjoy God, one way that we enjoy his, um, his gifts, his presence, all that he does, um, is by enjoying him, by being grateful, by being thankful, by living a, a joy-filled life. And that's not like joy um, divorced from the realities of life. Like obviously right now in the midst of COVID-19, we don't need to be people who are just like, I'm just going to put on a happy face and be joy-filled all the time. Like I have joy, joy, <laughs> right. joy down in my heart. Like I know people and you know people yeah, who are like that. Yep. Um, I think we're thinking of the same people. Um <laughs> But shall remain nameless. Yes, but um, there is a reality that though we can have joy, though we can have contentment, though we can have um, peace, we also know that like suffering occurs. We can lament. We can um, we can weep. Um, But that doesn't take away like the source and root of our like true and eternal lasting joy. And so, like I said, when when I've been thinking about these um, these four pastors, these four theologians that have had an influence on me, I've really been trying to think like not just like, oh, I, I like their doctrine or I liked how they taught this or that book was really interesting. Um, but I'm trying to think like the way that I live in the world, when I go out into the world and interact with friends, coworkers, um, you know, people at work that are coming in to buy stuff, um, the way that I, you know, interact with my wife, the way that I interact with you, um, like living in this world, who has had like the biggest and most profound impact on shaping a Christian worldview for me and and i i just sort of came to realize like man john piper has been so influential i've read so many of his books i listened to his podcast like if you if you're looking for another podcast apart from ours uh the ask john piper podcast is a pretty good one um it's it's really short um they actually lucas uh so that podcast is how i got the idea for how we record because we're not in the same place um john piper and his the guy that hosts quote unquote the podcast who asks the questions, they're not in the same place. So they do what we do. Um, uh-huh. And and the host is the one who told me that. I asked, how do you guys do, how do you guys pull off the, the audio? Like, how does it sound so good if you're not in the same place? Um, but the John Piper podcast, essentially like writers will, or um, like listeners will write in to the podcast and ask like just 
all sorts of questions. I mean, this is going on for like a decade or something. And so it's um, John Piper giving like short biblical helpful answers to some of the most, you know, pressing questions of our day. Um, so yeah, John Piper's on my list. Nice. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah. So my final person, my final entry on the list, uh, is, uh, Jacques Ellul. Jacques, Jacques, I don't speak French. Um, (laughs) he, and he lived from 1912 to 1994. Um, and technically he was a sociologist. So I guess I get to come up with someone else, right? Maybe not. Um, so he like like he was a sociologist. He taught sociology at the University of Bordeaux in France, but he um, was also definitely a, a theologian. He engaged in a lot of theological works. Uh, he wrote a lot, and um, some are more theological, some are more sociological. Um, but uh, a lot of his theological sort of thinking and and working uh, focused on like exploring, you know, faith uh, and and the he talked about technology a lot, the technological society um, that was developing uh, rapidly during his lifetime. Um, and when he was writing in the, in the second half of the 20th century, um, he, you know, on my five books, I also had a book by him, Violence, um, where he's been the most influential to me is in um, the, is in political theology, which is a big focus of, of me and my own study and, and thinking and, you know, I've I've done some work in seminary on political theology, and and that's you know, to me a big, you know, theological focus of mine. So that's part of why I think he sticks out to me. Um, but um, he is a really good source. There's a lot of um, he, he's pretty accessible. Uh, I would say, um, Whipfenstock posts uh, posts <laughs> publishes a lot of. Um, his work's translated into English and they've all got nice, you know, matching covers and stuff. So it's looks nice on the shelf. Um, <laughs> That's but, what we go for when we buy books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's had a lot of uh, influence on how I approach issues of faith and the state and the church and the interactions and, and how, how does a Christian approach the state and, and that kind of thing. And um, obviously with, with violence, um, as I mentioned in that five books episode, it, really shaped how I think about violence in a lot of ways. And, um, I would, I would recommend if you're going to jump in, um, besides violence, I I would recommend his book, um, Anarchy and Christianity or, um, a book that I've only read part of, uh, called the subversion of Christianity. I forget there's one chapter in particular that I was reading for a paper in college and, and that's where I would, Start. I can't remember that which chapter it was in the book, but the subversion of Christianity or anarchy in Christianity are very excellent works by Jacques Ellul. So I would say um, to round out my list that uh, Jacques Ellul has had a profound influence and continues to as I as I you know I'm working my way through the books I got for Christmas and then I'm going to buy Same. a few of his that I haven't read and, and dive deeper in. <laughs> um, so so yeah, that's my list. Um, cool. That's uh, both of our lists, obviously. <laughs> um, I hope that, you know, you met some new theologians today, that you, you know, maybe found some some new books to, to pursue or some new people to listen to, old, new, you know, or 
older, recent, more recent, whatever. Um, I know that this was a lot of fun, both in tweet form and in more expanded podcast form for us to, to do. And, and like I mentioned at the beginning, I, I think, you know, it's worthwhile um, to sit down and think through these things. I think that it, it really showed me a lot about um, my own thought and my own sort of ways to continue to grow. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of uh, benefit too in my own um, yeah. reflection on my theology. Um, so yeah, I mean, with that, I think uh, it's time, Jens, for you to close us in prayer. Yeah, before I do, I'll just add, like, I think it's really helpful just to sort of piggyback on what you're saying here. It is really helpful to take a moment to pause and to think about the people who have impacted you um, because your faith does not happen in a vacuum. It's not just you, your Bible, and Jesus every day. Um, but we've had people for literally hundreds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years who have um, carried the faith, who have persevered, who have, um, you know, sought to be orthodox, to be um, faithful to our Savior, and to so, to be able to, like, read their works, to be able to um, even know their names, I mean, is like the mercy of God. It's in his grace, in his providence, that he's allowed these books to be written, sermons to be, you know, uploaded to YouTube um, for our benefit, for our good. And um, before, uh, I, didn't, I didn't think to do any prep for this, but I'm going to real quick Google a passage. Um, because it's really been on my mind lately and I just want to read it real quick. So excuse the mouse clicks and me sort of stumbling for a moment while I get there. Um, so unprofessional. I know, I know, but it, it's, it's, it's applicable and then, and then <laughs> we'll, we'll pray it out. So Acts 17, um, this is Paul. He's addressing the Areopagus. He's, you know, before the men of Athens and uh, starting in verse 24 of Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I mean, there's a lot to ponder right there, that he gives life and breath and everything to mankind. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And I just, that, that little passage on verse 27 about they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Um, like, so when I was thinking about these four pastors, these four theologians, like if you asked all of them, they'd have all of their influences. Those would have all mm -hmm. of their influences and so on. Um, but all of this, all of this has been um, in God's providence and his sovereignty has um, been set up in such a way that we should seek after God and perhaps find our way towards him. So we are indebted to these men um, and women. We're indebted not just to pastors and theologians um, out there, but also our own pastors, our own theologians that, um, you know, we're under in our, in our local congregations. Um, so I just wanted to read that and say that as a way of closing before we pray. So without any further ado, going to go to the Valley of Vision. This is called um, Morning Dedication. It says, Almighty God, as I cross the threshold of this day, I commit myself, soul, body, affairs, friends, to thy care. Watch over, keep, guide, direct, sanctify, and bless me. Incline my heart to thy ways. Mold me wholly into the image of Jesus as a potter forms clay. May my lips be a well-tuned harp to sound thy praise. 
Let those around me see see me living by thy spirit, trampling the world underfoot, conformed, sorry, unconformed to lying vanities, transformed by a renewed mind, clad to the entire armor of God, shining as a never dimmed light, showing holiness in all my doings. Let no evil this day soil my thoughts, words, or hands. May I travel miry paths with a life pure from spot or stain. Uh, in needful transactions, let my affection be in heaven and my love soar upwards in flames of fire, my gaze fixed on unseen things, my eyes open to the emptiness, uh, fragil- fragility, mockery of earth and its vanities. May I view all things in the mirror of eternity, waiting for the coming of my Lord, listening for the last trumpet call, hastening unto the new heaven and new earth. Order this day all my communications according to thy wisdom and to the gain of mutual good. Forbid that I should not be profited and made profitable. May I speak each word as if my last and walk each step as if it was my final one. In my life should, or if my life should end today, let this be my best day. Amen. Amen. Thanks. So... We thank you for tuning into this episode where we talked about four theologians that have had a profound impact upon us. Uh, we thank you for listening to uh, our podcast in general. We're really appreciative of all the um, support that we've had, all the listeners and um, some of you who have written to us express, expressing your thoughts and appreciation. Um, so if you'd like to connect with us, if you want to interact with us, we're not going to give you our phone numbers, but you can hit us up on Twitter uh, at Doxology Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram under um, the handle at Doxology Podcast, or you can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any feedback. We'd love your questions. We'd love episode ideas. Um, and if you give us episode ideas, we'll give you a shout out um, either in the episode or in the description or both. Um, so send us send us uh, all your love, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we hope that you have a great day. <laughs>